Good morning, church. Um, joy to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our series, Miracle Making God Known. One of the goals, or maybe the ultimate goal in this series, was to kind of remind us, but to help us hold on to this simple fact that the God of this universe desires to be known to us. Um, we've looked at three or four different ways, or three different ways that God reveals himself to us. We looked at God, the creator, and Jesus, the creator. We looked at God, the compassionate, and Jesus, the compassionate. We looked at the God of justice and Jesus, the just. And this morning, we're going to talk about provision, the idea that God provides for us. Now, one thing that's important for us to hold on to is that, you know, we have a God who's very contextual. We see that in our lives. You know, how God revealed himself to you last week might be a little different than how God reveals himself to you today. Who you knew God to be at seven might be a little different than 17 or 77 or 47 or everywhere in between. God is this very contextual God. But God also reveals himself over time. We see that in scripture. We see it in our lives. Um, it's impossible to read scripture and not think that God is, you know, not just three in one, but they're different. You know, the, the, the problem isn't when you say Jesus is different than the father. The problem is when you think that Jesus is, un or God the Father is unknowable. The difference is when you believe that Jesus is so different from the Father, how can they be the same person? How can they be one? And the reason that this connect gets us to this dark place is because if we have a God who's unknowable to us, can he really love us? If we have a God who never relates to us, who never meets us where we're at, can we really feel the love of God? Now, the scriptures help us on this. Jesus himself says, actually, forget all that. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John, who's Jesus' best friend, looked at Jesus, and, and he teaches us something. If Jesus says it, I can say it too. If Jesus does it, I can try to do it too. John says, okay, Jesus, I hear that. But guess what? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've known Jesus, you've known the Father. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Since the beginning of time, God has chosen his people and the prophets to reveal his word to us, to reveal his will to us. But now he's chosen Jesus, who's the perfect manifestation and exact representation of God. And maybe my favorite way to kind of encapsulate all this is what Paul writes to the Colossians and us. He says, the father was pleased to have his fullness dwell in the son. God was pleased that even though you might see him blindly through the Old Testament, even though you might not perfectly understand him, God is pleased that when you look at Jesus, you see the father. This morning, we're going to be looking at um, the fourth way that God reveals himself to us as God the provider. Have your Bibles turn with me to Genesis 22. We'll be reading Genesis 22. I'll be reading Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. We'll also have it up front that you can follow along, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, 
Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When he reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and there and and ranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed and lived in Beersheba. Let's pray together. Father, our God, we thank you this morning that you are indeed the God who provides. God, we thank you that we can rely on you, that you ask faith, faith that trusts in you, faith that lives for you and you alone, faith that's willing to worship and submit and obey the giver not the giving, not the blessing, but the one who blesses. Thank you so much, God, that you are good and we are loved. In your holy and precious name, amen. One of the the interesting things about preaching on passages that are so familiar is you have a hard time figuring out where to start. Because if you grew up in church like some of us did, this is a very, very familiar passage. But this morning, we're going to look at this passage, and and hopefully we have some some new ways of unpacking this, because there's a lot going on in this passage. The first thing we need to be reminded of is is Isaac. Who is Isaac? Last time we talked about Isaac was in our our series a a couple months ago on faith builders, you know, looking at women in Genesis and Exodus who really built the faith that we have today by how they trusted God. And we talked about Sarah. Remember we said Sarah was born into a culture where progeny and your line was what matters most. And it wasn't just, oh, you need to have children, but you needed to have male sons. You needed to have sons because that's what mattered most in that culture, carrying on the family name and tradition. Now, if that's what mattered most, we need to also remind ourselves that Sarah is married to Abram for decades. They're married for years. Before God ever makes this promise, they're married, and they're living within this culture where to not have children, to be barren, is a great curse. That's where they're living in. And then you'll remember from that story that God actually makes the promise to Abram and Sarah when Abram is 75 years old. But the son of promise doesn't come till Abraham now is 100 years old. That's 25 years they had to wait and trust in the Lord. And one of the things I've learned to love about their story is they don't wait and trust on the Lord perfectly. But God still loves them. Remember in those 25 years that, that instead of fearing God, 
Abram a few times feared Egypt or he feared Abimelech and he walked into town and and he says, well, Sarah's kind of pretty and they're going to take her away from me. And and so that's my sister. And he lies. God forgives him. It's not just about waiting on the Lord perfectly, but God just wants his trust. God just wants his full obedience. Or or the time they decide they want to help God, where Abraham now is like, I'm so blessed by God. I can have anything that I could dream of. God has given me all these blessings, but I don't have a son. So Abraham goes to God and he says, God, I know you promised me this son. I know you said this son is coming through all the world would be blessed. But I have this servant, Eleazar, and I love and I trust him. And and I I think he's good enough. Like, I want to help you out. Why don't you make him my heir? And God says, no. And then the other time they try to help her out, help out God, is with the, 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 the sad episode of Hagar. And I think this is very, very important. I think this preaches today because you have to understand that what Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar is completely acceptable in their culture. And it's a reminder to us that if we're looking to culture to tell us how to live, if we're looking to culture to be our moral standard, if we're looking to the world around us to tell us how to live and please God, we're doing it all wrong because your culture says it's okay and their culture said it was perfectly okay. For them to take this lady, Hagar, the servant, the slave, their culture said it was perfectly okay to force her to lay with Abraham. That's what the culture said. It behooves us, I love that word, it behooves us to be reminded that we are not to look to culture for our direction. We are to look to God and God alone. Because what happens when they try to help God out is Hagar gets taken advantage of. Ishmael is born into a family where at first he's the blessed son of Abraham. But then he becomes the hated son of Abraham. Sarah grows jealous. Hagar grows jealous. And it's this unequal yoking of just hate and oppression. But the thing that always arrests me and stops me where I am when I think about Hagar It's not possible that I be pregnant. I know you're shocked. It's it's true. It's not possible that I be pregnant. But when you think about Hagar, I want you to think about this. She's about to give birth to Ishmael. Yet the heat of oppression that she faced from Sarah, the heat of oppression she faced that Abram let happen to her is so great that as a pregnant mother about to give birth, she'd rather run into the desert than stay with them. That's what Hagar went through. But through her story, we're reminded of something that God teaches Abraham years later in this story. That in her suffering, God sees. God goes to her in the desert. God restores her in the desert. God gives her promises in the desert. So it doesn't just matter that, oh, we're suffering and God loves us. No, 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 no. We're suffering and God sees it. And God can heal you, and God can redeem that suffering, and God can use you to do great things. So they try to help God out by following the standard of their culture. Maybe we would behoove ourselves to look to God and not the standard of our culture when it comes to how to live morally or what is good or what is love. And then you get Isaac, the only begotten son. Now, maybe this is the first thing that tricks you when you read this story, right? Because you're just like, um, didn't we just meet Ishmael? 
Didn't you just finish talking about Ishmael? There's no way this is Abraham's only son. Yet in Genesis 22, time and time again, it says, your one and only son, your only son whom you love. What's the point they're making? They're making that this is the son of promise. This is the special son. This is the one through whom God's will will be brought to this world. In the New Testament, we change it up a little bit. You know what we say? We said, the only begotten son. It's the same language that's used to talk about Jesus because Jesus was the son of promise. Jesus was the one that was promised in Genesis 3. Jesus is the one the prophets yelled about and, 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 and proclaimed that was coming. Jesus was the son of promise. But to Abraham, Isaac was this son of promise. He was the special son. And yes, Ishmael was blessed too. But Isaac was the one through whom the whole world would be blessed. Ishmael was blessed to have a family that extends to this day that covers most of the Middle East. Isaac is blessed with a family that covers the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Now, when we get to Genesis 22, there's a couple things that we need to hold on to. The first one is simply this. God is not on trial here. Abraham is the one who's tested in this story, not God. And I think that's very, very important. And the author thinks that's important because that's what the author begins with in verse 1, that Abraham's faith is going to be tested. God is not on trial. Abraham is. And if you're not sure that God is not on trial, just look at Abraham's life. God has proven time and time again that God is good. Out of all the people in the world, God chose Abraham. Abram at the time. Out of all the people in the world, God chooses him out of this family on the other side of the earth. And God says, Abram, go to the place I will show you. And along that journey, God blesses him. God reveals himself to him. God gives him all these promises. And through that journey, we see Abram's faith grow and he covenants with God and becomes Abraham. When his name Abram is combined to God's name, they become Abraham because God was saying, you are my son, you are my child. Through you, I will bless the world. And think about the protection that God gives Abraham. Think about in Egypt when he lies to the Pharaoh that Sarah is his sister, yet God still blesses him. Think about the protection when he lies to, to uh, Abimelech or when he lies to, to, to all these different people around him and God still protects him. Think about 25 years of waiting and God answering prayer. Think about Abraham who when God said, you're going to have a son, he said, I'm very old and he laughed, right? And he laughed, and, and Sarah laughed. And God says, y'all like laughing so much, we'll call the kids laughter. And think about how they went from that laugh of surprise or, or maybe unbelief to the laughter of joy when the son finally came. God has proven that he's good to Abraham. God is not on trial. Abraham's faith is. We know God is good. The chronicler, when Israel was in his depths of despair, says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The other psalmist said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Where? In the land of the living. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. 
or that beacon of light in the book of Lamentations and grieving when it says what? The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seek after him. God is good. We see it in Abraham's life. We see it in the scriptures. But here's the thing. If God is so good, how can he ask this? If God is so good, how can he ask this? One commentator says this whole scene defies your sense and your sensibilities. It defies common sense. My grandfather was a brilliant man. Had a fourth grade education, became a judge in our country. He also had a photographic memory, so I think he kind of cheated. But that's besides the point. He was brilliant. And one of the things he always said to all of us, even his grandkids, is like, it doesn't matter if you go to med school, doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, doesn't matter if you're a businessman, doesn't matter what kind of degree you have, if you don't have your CS, I want nothing to do with you. Common sense. This ask of God defies common sense. It also defies the affection that Abraham truly felt. After 25 years of waiting, after the son of promise comes, after watching the child grow, after forming this bond and relationship, God now asks this. And for us, reading this thousands of years later, it defies our understanding of God sometimes. We know God's good. God's love, God's true, but how can he ask this? Now, there's a lot of books and commentaries you can read on this. You know, the Jewish people started, the Christians continued it. We've been waxing poetic on this for centuries. But I'm going to give a simple answer this morning. God asks this because God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. Now, we got to unpack that. Because our understanding of jealousy and God's understanding of jealousy is very different. You see, our jealousy is born out of insecurity. Why didn't you pick me? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. Why am I not good enough? Our insecurity, our jealousy is sometimes born out of envy. She can't be that much better. Why does he get the promotion? Why does no one listen to me? What about my gifts and skills? How come I'm not being used? How come no one wants to hear my voice? And our jealousy is sometimes born out of possession. You know, the only thing worse than having the things you have own you is thinking the people in your life belong to you. Because that's not love. That's a little word we like to call slavery. That's what our jealousy is born out of. But think about God and jealousy the way we look at jealousy. What does God have to be insecure about? He's the God of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. He loves and relates to and connects to with billions of people at a time. He's the God of all time who stands outside of time. What does God have to be insecure about? And who is God envious of? He's the God with no rival. He's the God with no equal. He's the God of all things. He's the all-powerful God. And how about this one? Our God doesn't look at us as a possession. God doesn't want a family of slaves. You know, that great poet and bard, Michael W. Smith, taught me this way, and he said, love ain't love 
until you give it away. And we think about our God, and this is one of the most humbling things I've learned about God. He loves us so much that he gifts us the freedom to reject him. God, when we say God is jealous, it's not because he's insecure, he's envious, or he's possessive. He has no rival. He has no equal. He'll even give you freedom to reject him. So what do we mean by God's jealousy? God is talking about unfaithfulness. God is talking about you when you choose to make something else more important than him. God is talking about unfaithfulness when you're not living for God and God alone. God wants to be your Lord. We like him as our Savior, but God wants to be your Lord which means that everything must be done in submission to him. It means that even the blessings we have can't matter more than the one who blesses. The gifts that we have can't matter more than the giver. God wants all of you. He doesn't just want a piece of your heart. He wants all of you. He doesn't just want a piece of your life. He wants all of your life. When God says, I am a jealous God, he's talking about unfaithfulness to him. But here's the other part. Here's the other side of that unfaithfulness. God is worried about your unfaithfulness in this sense. When we are unfaithful to God, when we put the blessings above the one who blesses, the gifts above the one who gifts, you know what happens? When we make something matter, anything or anyone matter more than God himself, it leads to our destruction. And God knows that. That's why he's jealous, because he loves you and he wants all of you, but he also wants to see you succeed and not fail. He wants you to be light and not stuck in darkness. He wants you to be uplifted and shining for his glory and not following what this world says or values or not following yourself and making yourself the God of your life. God knows, and he's jealous for you because he wants all of you, because if God doesn't have all of you, it's so much easy to walk that path of destruction. Now, the Jewish people kind of do something better than us. You know, maybe this is the Sunday school that I grew up in, but we always talk about Genesis 22 as, you know, the sacrifice of Isaac. And as a kid, I'm like, but he didn't even die. You know, like, how's this a sacrifice? He didn't even die, you know? The Jewish understanding is always that this is the binding of Isaac. I think that's important. Now, one of the things that's fascinating in this chapter is the obedience of Abraham. We have sensibilities that Abraham doesn't have. We're wondering, how can God ask him this? And Abraham says, I will go, I will listen, I will follow. And that is amazing. But here's what's impossible about it to me. When God asks us to do something hard, most of us want to do it right away. Almost makes you like a little kid again, trying to take your medicine, just take the medicine, get it over with, right? They had to travel together for three days. It's one thing for God to ask you to do something hard. You're like, okay, fine, Lord, let's do it, right? Three days. One, two, three. Walking with your special son. Walking with the one who you knew the world's going to be blessed through. And knowing what God has asked you to do. Three days. But what I love about Abraham's faith is he obeyed. Abraham obeyed because he believes. 
And a lot of times we have this sensibility, how can God ask us to do this? And we need to ask, what was Abraham thinking? And when you go back to the passage, you realize that Abraham's like, I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. But servants, you stay here. Me and the boy will go worship. And what? We will come back to you. What a lesson to us. We get stuck on a philosophical question. How can God ask this? And Abraham says, I don't know why or how, but I know he's going to come through. And what a message to us this morning. God doesn't expect you to know the future. God doesn't even expect you to know how it's going to play out or how it's going to work out. God just wants you to what? Trust him. You cannot be more sensitive to this story than Abraham was. This is his son. You cannot be more moral than Abraham was. This is his son. You cannot be more loving than Abraham was. This is his son. But Abraham stands in obedience to God to say, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. But we will go and worship and we will come back because he had faith in God. And the New Testament writers help us flesh it out a little bit. And they said, you know what? Abraham trusted that if Isaac was to die, God would resurrect him. And that's beautiful. But we also are blessed because we have the language of resurrection. We have the example of Jesus Christ. We have the examples even in the Old Testament of God raising people from dead. Abraham had none of that. But what he did have was faith and trust in God. That's what God asked of us, not to know how it's going to work out. Not to know how it's going to perfectly play out. Because here's the thing. If you knew how it was going to work out, would you ever have reason to use your faith? Other thing I love about this story is it's not just about Abraham's faith. It's also about Isaac's faith. Now, this passage kind of trips us up. You know, one of the... the, the I don't know if danger is the right word, but one of the stumbling blocks with language is that words can sometimes mean more than one thing, right? For example, if I said, it is running, we can all probably list 10 things that sentence can mean. It's the same, it's running. Is it my nose? You know, is it my car? Is it my car on the road? Is it my car starting, right? It's running. What could that mean? Now, for a long time, we've been stumbling in this passage because Isaac is called a boy a few times. So we assume that, like, he was probably young, you know? But then where it falls in the context of the chapter, it's around where Sarah died, so he could be as old as 37? Then we start doing these mental gymnastics of, like, okay, was he 37 or was he, like, 15? Or that's not the point. That's not the point. The point of the storyteller is that Isaac had faith, too. Because whether or not he was 15 or 37, he went up that mountain with his father. Whether or not he was 20 or 27, he allowed himself to be bound. Abraham, if Isaac is 37, that means Abraham is 137. There's a good chance he could run away if he wanted to. But what I love about this story, though, is Isaac does speak up, which makes me feel good, right? Like you read some of these stories sometimes, you're just like, where's the human? Like, where's the human... Isaac's like, hey, I'm dad, so I see the wood. I see everything we need for the offering. The servants are over there. Like, what's going on? He speaks up. He wants to know what's happening. And Abraham tells him, God will provide. And that was good enough for Isaac to trust his father to be bound 
This is not just the story of Abraham's faith. Isaac also had to have faith that this God his father believed in was the God he could believe in. That if his father even had to kill him, that God would resurrect him. Isaac also had faith. Abraham trusts that God will provide. And God intervenes. And the, the ram gets caught in a bush, and, and, and there's, there's protection for Isaac. And I love this. A lot of commentators spend so much time, you know, they're like, you know what this story is about? It's about God proving that he's not okay with child sacrifice. Really? Like, that's what the story is about? Like, that's really what it's about? Or some would say, like, you know what this story is about? It's about the institution of animal sacrifice. They might have semblance of the truth. I think it's simpler than that. This story is about faith. This story is about do you trust God enough? Or do you trust God more than the blessings he's given you? Do you trust God more than the things you value? Do you trust God more than what gives you comfort? Do you trust God in the thing you love the most? God provides protection for Isaac through the voice of the angel. But here's the other thing. God provides justification or proof of Abraham's faith. God says, now I know you want me as your Lord. Now I know that you fear God. And it's not fear like I'm scared of you. It's fear that I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to follow you. And God affirms his blessing and covenant to Abraham right after and what a blessing that is. Paul in the book of Galatians tells us that every one of us in this room, every one of us across this city, every one of us across this state, every one of us across this country, every one of us across this world, every one of us who has ever believed, every one of us who will believe, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are Abraham's inheritance. We're the seed of Abraham, not because of our, our genetic code or our, our hereditary. We're the seed of Abraham through faith. Through faith. God affirms that blessing to Abraham at the top of Mount Moriah to say, because of your faith, many will be blessed. Now, what are some things I want us to pull out for us today? Well, the first thing is God providing is a way that God makes himself known to you. Now, I got to get a little bit King James on you guys this morning because that's how it came to me. So we're going to go with it, right? If you're not familiar with the King James, just go with it. But the first thing I think that we need to hold on from this story is simply this. That which is most important to us, if it is not God, it destroys. That which is most important to you, if it is not God, it destroys. It might be your gifts, your skills, your abilities, the things you're good at. It might be your blessings, the relationships, the people around you. It might be your status, your education, your bank account, your job you have. It might even be your identity, how you choose to identify yourself or what you think is most important to you. That which is most important to you, if it is not God, it destroys Abraham learned that on Mount Moriah. I hope we learn that today. That which is most important to you, if it is not God, it destroys. There's, a, there's an old African folktale 
Um, it's actually, I would say, I, I can codify a little bit. It's an old West African folktale. Um, it shows up in different cultures across different tribes, and, and it comes up all different ways, right? The, the most uh, recent way I've seen it come up was um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's brilliant Nigerian writer. You should all read her. She's amazing. Um, but she has a book called The Purple Hibiscus. And, and in this book, she tells this story. She reframes it a little different than how my grandparents would have told it, but it's the same story. It just shows up, right? But there's a universal theme in this story. That which is most important to you can destroy you. And in this story, one of her characters is Papa Nuku. Papa Nuku gathers his grandchildren around, and he loves to tell stories. And the story is how the tortoise cracked his shell. Now, I, I do have to give a warning on this story. This is a West African tale. In West Africa, my people, we eat meat. Now, there's some of you who have these Western sensibilities, and you eat plants, and you think that's fun. God bless you, you know? I just, I have to lead with that because it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little hard. There's going to be some hard things in this story, but God bless you. You're different. You do stuff differently than we do, but we eat meat. Okay. The tortoise, how the tortoise crack the shell. So the story begins in the jungle. It's kind of like the opening scene of The Lion King, you know, the circle of life. Everyone's jumping around. Everyone's happy. Everyone, everything's great, right? If you've never seen The Lion King, I'll pray for you. You should see it. Um, so that's how the story begins in the jungle. However, a famine hits the land. And across the jungle, everyone's hurting. You know, people are trying to ration their food or trying to save their food or trying to do everything. And time and time goes along, and, and the famine is so stricken the land that there's nothing. So all the animals gather together, and they're like, what are we going to do? Like, we have no food. What are we going to do? And they're putting all their heads together. And someone has the idea, they're like, hey, um, circle of life, you know? Like, each family got to sacrifice somebody because we got to eat, you know? And depending on what country you're from or tribe you're from, generally speaking, they land at the same place. But in my culture, it was more like, out of all the people who chose to be sacrificed, the mothers are the ones who said, you know what? For you to live, I gave you life. I will give you life now. So the mothers are going to sacrifice themselves, right? So all the animals get together. That's the thing. Mothers are going to sacrifice themselves. And what's interesting is everyone is still starving, except dog. Dog looks healthy. Dog looks strong. Dog looks even happy. And eventually they start asking dog questions like, hey, um, why are you so happy? Why are you jumping up and down chasing the wind? Like, how do you have energy? And dog says to them, um, well, you know, you guys like to eat, you know, all these fancy things. But me, I eat anything. So that's why I'm healthy. You know, I eat anything, anything. Use your imagination on that one. But something seems off, and no one could put their finger on it. Now, you know tortoise. Tortoise is a little slow. Takes his time getting places, you know. So one day, they're coming for their group meeting, and tortoise is a little slow. But out the corner of his eye, he sees dog running in the wind. He's like, what is that fool doing, you know? So tortoise tries to follow him, follow him. By the time tortoise reaches to the clearing, dog is climbing a rope. And the rope is falling from the sky, it looks like. And dog goes up there, and tortoise is confused, you know? As tortoise is hobbling over and making his way over, he hears all these, like, eating sounds, like, munching sounds, like, mm, 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 mm. It's like, what is going on up there, you know? So tortoise, you know, summers up all his energy, climbs the rope, climbs the rope, gets up there, and he realizes, oh, my goodness, dog, dog's mom and dog's family have been hoarding all this food. And every day before they go to the meeting, they sit and they eat. Now, Tortoise is brilliant. He knows that dog doesn't want to be outed. So he plays this to his advantage, and he's just like, so what should we do? 
What should we do about this? And dog is like, fine, you can come with me every day and eat, right? And tortoise is like, this is amazing. Goes the first day, eats out out of house and home. Goes the second day, eats him out of house and home. The third day, he gets a little hungry before dog's ready. So he scoots over, he starts climbing the rope. Dog's mom is tired of being eating out of house and home. She sees tortoise, she doesn't see her son. So what does she do? She pulls the rope up. Tortoise falls to the ground and cracks its shell. That which is most important to you can destroy. Because here's the thing about this story. We all play the parts. Some of us are dog. We're so happy with our blessings, we forget that we're blessed to blessed. We forget that it's not just, oh, God is good to me, it's God is good to us. We forget to ask the question, how can I share my blessings with the world? And some of us are dog's family. We not only care about me and mine, we only care about me and mine. And we're willing to do anything to hold on to our power, our privilege, our position, our blessings. We're willing to do anything even if the rest of the world is suffering around us. We're willing to hold on to our riches or our food or whatever blessing we have and turn our eyes blind to the suffering of the people all around us. Some of us are dogs' family. And some of us are tortoise. Where we might be struggling, but then the door opens up a little bit. And instead of cracking the door open and saying, let's all run through, we look out for ourselves. We only eat till we're full. And we climb that rope until we fall and crack our shell. That which is most important to you, if it is not God, it destroys. It might be your blessings. It might be your relationships. It might be your gifts, skills, and abilities. It might be your status, your education, your bank account, your job, your family, your relationships. It might even be your identity, how you see yourself. That which is most important to you, if it is not God, it destroys. The second thing we learn from Abraham, to obey is better than sacrifice. This is the message that God gave to Israel. It's the message he gave to Israel's first king. It's the message that came through the prophets. To obey is better than sacrifice. Because God seems to know something about us. We can give him our hands a lot easier than we can give him our hearts. We can give him the stuff we can do from rote memory. We can serve to serve without serving to please him. We can serve to look good without serving to help our sister or our brother. God doesn't just want your hands. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants all of you. To obey is better than sacrifice. And that's the beauty of the story in Genesis 22. It's not about the sacrifice that didn't happen. It's about the obedience from Abraham, from Isaac, that God is pleased with. Because for all of us in this room, to obey is better than sacrifice. The third thing kind of came to me this week. Um, there's a guy by the name of Travis Green. He sings that song, You Made Away. We sing it here a bunch of times, right? Uh, he has a new album out. It's really good. And on this album, I, I don't really make music. Uh, well, I'll take that back. The Bible says make a joyful noise. I do that. You know, it doesn't have to be on key. Just make a joyful noise. Um, but he has a song on this new album. And the song is, is called Good and Loved. And, and so I like reading about songs. When I find out I like a song, I just like read everything about it. And I was struck. He said this song came to him while he was preparing to go preach. 
And he's sitting there and having a prayer meeting, and he felt the whisper of God says to him, I am good, and you are loved. And when I think about this story, when I think about us, I think there's somebody in this room who needs to just simply hear this morning that God is good, and you are loved. I think when we look at Abraham and Isaac, we forget that. We forget that God is still good. We forget that Abraham is still loved, that Isaac is still loved. But the thing is, in our own lives, we do the same thing. And I don't know who it is. I know I needed to hear it this week. But somebody in this room just simply needs to hear that God is good. And you are loved. That God is good. And you are loved. Travis said for him, this was one of the greatest revelations that God made to him. So I gift that to you this morning, that our God is good. And you are loved. The last thing in this chapter that's really important is Genesis 21 ends with Abraham realizing that this God he's worshiping, this God he serves, he calls him the eternal God. Abraham realizes that this is not just my personal microcomputer in my head, that this is actually the God of the universe, the God over all peoples, the God over all nations. He's the eternal God. That's what he learns at the end of Genesis 21. Yet in Genesis 22, Abraham learns that the all-powerful God works for his good, that the all-eternal God sees him. Interesting thing about the, the Hebrew word Yaira. We sing it Jehovah Jireh, right? And we think about how it's God will provide. We're going to go back to English class. Provide is actually the secondary meaning. Hebrew, like English, like many languages, they like to compound meaning into their words, right? The first meaning of Yaira is God sees. So what God is saying to you when he sees you isn't just I see your suffering. It's I'm working with you and providing for you throughout your suffering. I know you don't feel it, but I'm here. I know you don't see it, but I'm working. I know you're fighting to believe it, but trust me, I'm here. Our God who sees is the same God who provides. So every time you think God provides or sing God provides, remember he sees you first while he's providing for you. And I love God's provision because it's not just for the past, it's not just for the future, it's for right now. It's beyond what we dream, what we think, what we imagine. And what a blessing that Abraham gets, that the eternal God is the God who uniquely loves him. And I don't know who in this room needs to hold on to the promises of God. I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with a song, Yes and Amen. And in this song, we talk about the faithfulness of God. We talk about how all the promises of God are yes and amen. I don't know what promise you need to hold on to this morning. Maybe it's God saying, I see you mourning, but you will be comforted. Maybe it's God saying, I see you lonely, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe it's God saying, you may not see it, but I'm working right now for your good. Maybe it's God saying, trust me, my spirit lives in you and is transforming you into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. I don't know what promise you need to hold on to God this morning, but I know we can confidently stand and sing all your promises are yes and amen because our God is faithful, our God is true, and our God is good. 
I had to invite up the intercessors up for prayer. I had to invite up any staff in the room as well. I want to give you this opportunity to come up. Because maybe you just need somebody to pray for you and say, you know what? God is good. You are loved and he's going to see you through. Or maybe you just need to come up and say, God, this is what I need from you right now. This is where I'm struggling. Whatever you need prayer for, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. But as we sing this song, hold on to the forever truth. All his promises are yes and amen. Because our God is good. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.